appreciate the opportunity that uh, you gave Shelly and I to be gone last weekend. We got to spend uh, four days with our family up in the uh, hills of Colorado on 11 acres on a cabin with nobody else around. And it was so beautiful. Relaxing together. We didn't do a whole bunch of play games and eat food and laugh. And uh, it, was, it was great for us to be away. It's, but as they say, there's no place like home. So it was good to be back. And uh, David did a great job going through Act 7 last week. And I appreciate his faithfulness uh, to preach well. Sometimes I feel like you guys want to clap, but don't know if you should. You should. Um, but we're in Acts 8 in this series that I titled Unstoppable. And if you have a Bible or brought one with you, or if you just follow on a smart device or on the screen behind me, Acts 8 is a turning point in the expansion of God's kingdom in the world. It is one of my favorite, what they call, missiological principles in all of the Bible. But if I'm honest with you about Acts chapter 8, it is very difficult um, to accept. It's very difficult to adhere to. It's very difficult to allow God to let it do what it does in us. Acts 8 challenges uh, what we believe about God and his work in the world. It challenges us on what we believe is uh, what it means to follow him. It challenges us um, in, in what we believe the very nature of, the, of a Christian disciple's walk with him is. It's very challenging. It's not an easy chapter. Um, and it really calls us to wrestle with what God calls us to. A lot of people want to come to Jesus so that they can add Jesus to their life to make their life better. That's what a lot of us do. I'm going to add Jesus to my marriage to make my marriage better. I'm going to add Jesus to my job to make a job better. I'm going to add Jesus to my kids because Lord knows they need to be better. I'm going to add Jesus to the things in my life to make it better. There's a problem with that. The problem with that is thinking the earth is the center of the universe and the sun revolves around it. That's not how it works. We don't add Jesus to our lives to make our lives better. God has invited us to add our life to his story and become submissive to all that that entails. And that's what Acts 8 is all about. And so it's going to be very challenging for us as we look at what I think is it's a beautiful, wonderful, profound, missiological principle of the kingdom of God in the world, but it's very, very challenging when you take it to heart and submit yourself to the way God chooses to do things. You ready? I'm going to deal with the first few verses, and I'm going to leave out a big chunk in the middle and deal with the last few verses. There's so much in here. I, I can't get through it all on a, on a Sunday morning, but, but we'll get through plenty. Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Let me pause right there. What is this in reference to? The stoning of Stephen. 
the apostle, uh, uh, well, he would become the apostle Paul. At this point, he's still Saul, unconverted. A Pharisee of Pharisees is there consenting to the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is one of the seven that were chosen to take care of little Greek widows and giving them food every day. So Saul was there, approved of their killing Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This is on the heels of the stoning of Stephen. Now, if we go back and think about the stoning of Stephen and, 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 and who he was and what happened, it raises some, some difficulties for us. Best we can ascertain, Stephen was a, a young man who had been volunteered for ministry. Have you ever been volunteered? Volunteered for ministry, gladly accepted, did his duties of feeding little widows to the best of his ability. And through this little ministry, God showed up and did incredible miracles through this obedient servant. And it seemed to have, I mean, when you think about what's going on, widows are being taken care of, the church is growing, he's doing miracles, and God's doing, it seemed, it seemed to be great kingdom impact, yeah? Which is exactly what God wants to happen, right? Like they're doing it all right, and God's showing up, and God's blessing it. And, and, and when you think about what, like all the good that's happening through this young man's life, and then you realize he gets stoned and murdered, some people would look at this and think, what a, what a waste of a young life. Like how, how unjust is this? Like so much potential, right? So much kingdom impact. And it's just, boom, cut short. It, 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 if, if, you're, if you read the Bible with eyes open and a mind that's engaged, you have to ask the question, why does God allow this type of injustice and this type of evil to be perpetrated against one of his? Let me tell you in part why. Because God is laying the foundation of an unstoppable kingdom, not unstoppable individuals. Because it's not about adding the kingdom to our individual life to make our individual lives better. It's about adding our individual life to the kingdom of God and letting God do what God sees best in the foundation and the building and the advancement of the kingdom. And Stephen's life and how that played out and the shortness of it helped the foundation and the advancements of the kingdom. See, most people, like I said, they come, to, they come to God thinking, God, I need help. I'm going to add you to what is going on in my world, and I know you're going to make it better because we've heard John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. And we think if I just add God to my life, I get life in all its fullness. And somehow we've changed this thing upside down, and we think that God is about the process of making my life better. Now, that may happen, but that's not the point. The point is we take my, I take my life and I say, God, I'm placing it into your hands and the hands of your kingdom. However you see fit best to use it, go ahead. Amen. That's difficult. 
Jesus has called us to join him in his unstoppable kingdom. He hasn't promised us unstoppable lives. Now, this verse is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I'm going to come back. I'm not done with it by a long shot. I'm going to come back to it. So just remember what this verse says. We'll come back to it. But let me get on to verses 2 and 3. <laughs> Godly men. It doesn't mean Christians. It means devout Jewish men. Buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Let's pretend like we're not in church and pretend like you're not talking to a pastor. Have you ever felt as though God did not do what God could have and should have done? Have you ever felt that God stopped short? Have you ever felt all those moments where like, God, I know you're capable of more and I know you could do more and I had more expectation of you and you didn't? Anybody? And if we're honest, there's part of us somehow, and we don't understand why, but there's part of us somehow that feel as though at some point God neglected to do something we really needed him to do. So look at this guy, Stephen. He volunteers for ministry in his church. He's faithful to serve. And in the midst of that, being faithful and obedient and righteous, he's arrested and God did nothing. And in that arrest, he's charged with lies and deceit And God did nothing. And in the midst of all that injustice, he actually followed through and murdered him on trumped up religious charges. And God did nothing. And added to that, this first church doing everything right. Suddenly this persecution breaks out. And the authorities come and barge into their private homes and arrest them and take their property and take their liberty and take away all their rights and throw them in jail and brutalize them. And God did nothing. How many of us are still signing up for this thing? Why? Why doesn't God do something? Is he sleeping? Do you not care? You ever felt that? I'll tell you why he doesn't do anything. Because God's doing something greater behind the scenes than we see in the moment. And when we get caught up in the moment, as, as difficult as it might be, when that's all we see, we make monuments out of moments. And monuments are very difficult to to get past. And God says, I'm going to draw you something past the moment, past the monument. I want to call you into a kingdom that is greater than your moment. Trust me. 
The kingdom, the eternal kingdom I'm drawing you into is about me, not about your moment. Trust me, my kingdom in eternity is going to last a lot longer than your moment right now. Trust me. That's tough, right? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. When Philip went down to a, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was what? Great joy in that city. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else scattered. What did they do when they scattered? What they do when they scattered? They talked about Jesus. They chattered. Well, decades ago, when I was a youth pastor, I, I preached a lesson on Acts eight one, and I called it um, "Chatter, Scatter, Shatter" because they scattered all around the world. They chattered about Jesus, and they shattered the chains of the evil one. That's Acts eight. Scatter, chatter, shatter. All they did when they went it was chatter about Jesus. It was about him and his kingdom. Philip was one of the seven that were chosen back with Stephen. Back in chapter 6, they chose seven men to take care of the daily distribution of food for these Greek-speaking widows who were being neglected in it. And so Stephen and Philip were two of the seven. I want you to note something that both Stephen and Philip were used mightily by God. Incredible miracles were done through their hands. They started out as table waiters. They started out with very, 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 very simplistic, simple, menial ministry. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, here's something we all got to learn. You don't lead until you first serve. You don't lead until you first serve. And they started serving they started small. It was waiting tables for little widows. And, and I, I, I'm looking at these two guys, and I look at where they started and where God took them in a very short amount of time. And my mind goes back to Zechariah 4. In Zechariah 4, Zechariah the prophet has this vision of a, a seven-branched menorah that's perpetually burning. The oil never runs out. It's perpetually burning because it's being fed by seven pipes that are feeding the lampstand. And above the menorah and the seven pipes feeding the lamps down this oil are two olive trees, the way the vision goes. And these olive trees, these pipes are tapped into the olive trees that feed the seven pipes, that feed the seven uh, lamps down menorah. And, and these trees produce this purified oil so the menorah of God, the light of God, never goes out. And it's around the, that vision that God tells Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then he says this, do not despise the days of small beginnings. And I, and I look at these two, and I think they had a day of small beginnings. They're called a wait on tables. 
And they didn't despise this small, menial work. They didn't despise it. It wasn't beneath them. And they just faithfully gave themselves to the kingdom of God as it fleshed itself out through their menial work. And somehow, God did these incredible miracles through their lives. Why? Because it wasn't by their power. It wasn't by their might. It wasn't by their knowledge. It was by the Spirit of God. Because they didn't deny the days of small beginnings. Stephen and Philip started small. And they were fine with that. And they let God be God and served his kingdom because it was kingdom over all. And God did incredible things simply by his spirit. And the result of it was what? What was the result in that city? Great joy. All they did was talk about Jesus. All they did was make Jesus the center point. And the result of Jesus being the center point was great joy. And it just makes sense. Why? Because when Jesus is the center point, all the fruit of him comes to fruition. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, just self-control. It all is an outgrowth of Jesus being the center. Our problem is we get so wrapped up in the periphery. How do I be joyful? How do I be kind? How do I be gentle? Get back to Jesus. That's the center. And then we get through this, 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 this section of verses 9 through 25. And it's, it, it's, it's some crazy stuff, man. I mean, if you ever read the Bible, there's some crazy stuff in here. And there's this guy named Simon. He was a sorcerer. Basically, he was a magician. And he performed crazy tricks, crazy magic. And the people are like, man, you are awesome. Like, David Blaine has nothing on you. You are, this is awesome. And they're all following him. And then the, 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 the disciples of Jesus show up because they've been scattered. And they start talking about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. And everybody starts believing their message, even Simon the sorcerer. And the, the apostles find out, hear about it back in Jerusalem. And so you know what happens when the, when the guys, when the boots on the ground, give a report back to the boss. The boss needs to check out the boots on the ground, make sure everything's copacetic. And so the, the, the apostles... Uh, Peter and John show up, and they see that that some of these 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 non-Jews have accepted the message of Christ, and the Bible says that they laid their hands on them so they could receive the Holy Spirit. And and if if you don't understand what's going on here, you're going to get a little confused, because don't we believe that when you accept Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit in you? So they accepted Christ, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. What's that about? So, so here's what we have to understand, and, and I, really, I talked about this a few, a, a few uh, months ago as we opened up the book of Acts. But there's a difference between the Holy Spirit being, Spirit being in and the Holy Spirit being upon. At salvation, the Holy Spirit comes within a person, takes up a residency in a life. Jesus talked about it, the gospel talks about it, the book of Romans talks about it. John 20, 23, Luke eleven thirteen. At the point of conversion, the Holy Spirit comes in. But there's another, there's, there's another part of this where the Holy Spirit comes upon. Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon, it comes upon the person 
with whom the Holy Spirit is already within, but it comes upon the person for power and for witness and for boldness. So they had received the Holy Spirit within because they believed in Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior, but they needed the Holy Spirit to come upon them for power and witness and boldness. Do you understand that? So if you've accepted Christ, you've already been gifted the Holy Spirit within. He's come in you. But there's another element to this where you pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you for a bold witness and power. And so that's what's going on here, 9 through 25. They're going to receive the the Holy Spirit upon them, though he was already in them, for a powerful witness. I I don't want you to get confused at the role of the Holy Spirit. It's really important. But then we get down, and we jump down to verses 26 through 31. And so look look at as the whole thing shakes out. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. It means the empty, the unused road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Let me just pause it right there for a minute. Understand this. Anywhere in the, especially the New Testament, where Jerusalem is talked about, it always talks about going up to Jerusalem. Even if you're in the north and you have to go south to Jerusalem, it talks about going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was the center city of the promised land. It was where the temple was. So everything was beneath it. Does that make sense? And, and so you always, go up to, you always go up to the house of God. You always go up to the presence of God. No matter where that is, you go up to the presence of God. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Some of your translations of Acts 8 will say that this eunuch was, uh, was in charge of helping administrate um, the, the, the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. Some of them actually say the, the name Candace. Here's what you have to understand. Candace is not a name, it's a title. It's better translated as we do here, Candate, which means queen. So this was the queen of Ethiopia, and it was probably the king's mother. The Ethiopian kingdom believed that their kings were gods, and administrative work was beneath them because they're gods. They shouldn't get involved in the menial administrative tasks and the paperwork. So they gave that charge to women. And so this is the administrator of the queen of Ethiopia, whose job was the queen's job was to administrate the details of the kingdom. And this is why that um, you women bounce the checkbooks. Because you're good at administration. This is why Heather runs all of the details of the church in the Maywood Center. It's all the administrative stuff because it's beneath me. No, just kidding. <laughs> the fact that this eunuch has a copy of the sacred scroll of the book of Isaiah is really odd because they didn't mass produce sacred text scrolls. We have no idea how he got this thing, except we all know the rule that money makes the world go round. 
But what's even more odd is this is a Gentile Ethiopian who has a copy of the Jewish sacred scrolls. It's so interesting to me how God orchestrates things. Philip feels prompted by the Holy Spirit to go stand next to the chariot. I don't think he heard a audible voice. I think there was something in here that just the the Holy Spirit kind of prompted him and moved him, and he felt as if the Holy Spirit was telling him, I'm doing something over there. Go there and stand next to it. This is, hear me, please. If you're a Christ follower, this is something that you have to learn to cultivate recognizing and hearing the Holy Spirit's prompting and then moving in obedience. How often, I wonder, have we felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit within us and like, I don't know, it's just not the right time. I don't feel comfortable. It hasn't shut, like the door isn't open. It just, I just, and you just ignore it. If the Holy Spirit is within The Holy Spirit will prompt you and talk to you about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And when we recognize that and move in that, then the Holy Spirit comes upon for power and witness and boldness in that moment. Do you understand? I wonder how much God could do if his people paid attention to the prompting of his spirit within If we learned that, we would not be telling other people's stories about God. We'd be telling our own stories. This church becomes unstoppable. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? All the Spirit told him was to go stand near. That's all the Spirit said. At that Philip took the initiative. At that, Philip acted. At that, Philip started the conversation. At that, Philip opened the door. Listen, be bold. Don't worry about what you're saying. Recognize the prompting. Be obedient. The Holy Spirit will come upon. Don't worry about the details. This is something I'm learning. Friday night in our football game, our JV football game, uh, there was uh, this kid on the other team was running around our sideline, had a great run. Our guy made a better tackle. But during that tackle, this kid's foot got stuck in the ground and had a catastrophic knee injury. It was brutal. And the moment you saw it, you knew this, this, is, this has gotten real bad real quick. Immediately, this stadium's silent. Our trainer goes out, their trainers, their coaches, the EMTs. I'm talking to my team, and I look over, and I realize what's going on. I'm like, oh, my gracious, this poor kid. So I walk over, and I get down on my knees right by his head. And I ask him his name. And I said, look, I, I don't want to overstep my bounds right here, but do you all mind if I just stop and pray over him? And this little kid goes, oh, please. <laughs> I put my hands on him, 
And I prayed in the name of Jesus that God would do what only God could do in saving this kid's, you know, his knee and his foot and everything. Uh, and that the Holy Spirit would, would grant with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was just a real, it was a real heavenly moment there. Uh, and I got done praying, and the coaches were like, what just happened here? I put my arms around his parents, and I said, look, I'm going to be praying for your son. He's going to be okay. This is not the end of this for him. He's going to be all right. I talked to the kids. Upset. It was just one of those moments. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I just wonder how many of those we have. It's like, I don't it's not really my role right now. Like, it's just not really the right time. I don't really, I haven't been invited. I don't know. They haven't asked. Take the initiative. Did they really? I didn't see that part. She said a bunch of our, our boys got together and made a circle and prayed. Well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Is one of them sitting right there? Yeah, right on. That's why you didn't pray? Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> we're going to have a Jesus come to Jesus meeting right there. <laughs> That's why you had such a good football game, because you prayed. That's awesome. <clears throat> this is what I'm talking about. Like, it's the, like, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The eunuch just so happened to be reading what we know as Isaiah 53. It's the passage called the suffering servant, and it's a prophecy about the Messiah and how we would suffer for the sin of the world and be our redemption. He just happened to be reading that portion of Isaiah. Did you know that God just happens to set up just happened moments all the time? Just happened to be. I hate that that kid went through that injury, but it just so happened to be when we played him on our sidelines. Philip started with where the eunuch was, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Regardless of where people are, what they need to hear and know is the good news about Christ. <clears throat> My son Caleb just graduated last year with his master's, his fifth year, played football at his college for five years, uh, and, and, and this year his head coach has come to him and said, Caleb, I know you're graduated, but you're still living, uh, living in town. I want you to lead the chapels for our football team on game day. They watched Caleb live for five years. And, and, and Caleb realizes that perhaps God has given him a Philip moment. It just so happens to have the opportunity to lead the chapels for his football team. And Caleb and I were talking about it, and he said, you know, I just, maybe this is one of those moments that God's orchestrating. I'm like, do you think? (laughs) 
And he talks about things related to football and related to faith. But what he gets back to is the good news of Jesus every time. That's the center point of it. And he did it last yesterday for the team. And he texts mom and I, and he, he said, hey, uh, I had one of the guys come up after me and said that he knows that he's convicted a little bit and knows he needs to get to church and wants to go to church with me on Sunday after the game. He said, it'll fill up moments. He's prompted with the Spirit. You just say, okay. And then you expect the Holy Spirit to come upon and do something. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water. Thank you, Captain Obvious. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, this is verse 37. If you look in your Bibles, you probably don't have verse 37 there. It's probably a footnote. might be down at the bottom of the page. This was added probably by one of the scribes or the editors, probably in about five or 600 A.D. And they just kind of add this verse to, reassure, to help us understand the, how, how God, what baptism and how it works. And so they added this little sentence. Philip said, so, so the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, how about I be baptized? The editor said, says of Philip, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. That's the added part there. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. So here's what's happening. I think what happened with verse 37 is the editor kind of added that in to make sure we understand. Faith comes first and then baptism. That baptism doesn't save anybody. Baptism doesn't give you faith. Baptism doesn't make you right with God. I am right with God. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and then I'm baptized. It's just a way of saying, hey, don't forget the the order here. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, what? Because this is what Jesus does. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. When the Bible says that Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water to be baptized, the word baptize is a Greek word called baptizo, and it means to immerse or dip underwater. So when it says they went down into the water, it necessitates being completely immersed in water because every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. It wasn't by sprinkling. It was by immersion. So they went down into the water so they could come back up out of the water. And it was done right after he believed. Here's the point. If you have believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior and not been baptized by immersion, you're late. This is how it works in the Bible. The moment you believe as a state, an outward expression of an inward faith, you get baptized. You put the jersey on. You don't just claim to be a part of the team. You put the jersey on. Are you a part of the team without baptism? Absolutely. You're just a, uh, you're just a, you know, a silent observer, and that's the one what you're called to. So the baptism is putting on a jersey. And so this is why we're doing the baptism on the 15th. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior and not been baptized by immersion, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, I don't care how long you've been following Jesus, you need to get baptized by immersion on the 15th. Now listen, my pool's going to be cold. But all things in comparison, 
When I was down south, I met a guy who escaped Russian Soviet Union in the late 80s. It was a harrowing experience, his escape. While he was in Russia, accepted Christ, and they did all their baptisms in the dead of winter. Why? Because it's the only time the KGB wouldn't follow them. And they would go to these lakes and take huge stones and, and hammers and break through thick ice so they could get baptized by immersion in frozen lakes. You know, my pool will not be that cold. <laughs> you know if the Holy Spirit's talking to you because you're starting to pay attention to his prompting. Go to start here, Booth. Sign up for baptism on the 15th. And verse 39 says, he went away what? Rejoicing. Because this is what Jesus produces. Now, let me go back to verse 1. I I know what time it is. Just sit tight. You're not going to want to miss this. On that day, the martyrdom of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Why is that important? Why is it significant? Hmm? Spread the gospel because Jesus, absolutely. Biblically, why is it important? Look at what, this is Acts 8.1. Go back and read Acts 1.8. But just Jesus talking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, which is where they are. And where else? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That was the command back at 1-8. That was the promise back at 1-8. That was their charge back at 1-8. That was their duty back at 1-8. And God gave them that command. He gave them that charge. He gave them that duty. And what did they do? Huh? They stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go anywhere. Why? Because we love comfort above all else. It was easy there. They were comfortable there. Their families were there. Their friends were there. Their jobs were there. Their money was there. Their security was there. Their comfort was there. Why am I going to leave that? God will get what God wants done by somebody else. I like where I am. I'm not going anywhere. And they stayed put. What got them moving? Huh? Persecution. God either allowed or created a great deal of pain to make them move and be obedient. This is the great missiological principle in Scripture. Acts 1.8 is fulfilled in 8.1 because persecution broke out. And God says this, I got a call on you. I got a responsibility for you. I got work for you to do. And if you're going to be so comfortable sitting in your comfort and not being obedient, I will make you move. Because it's about me and my kingdom. You add your life to my kingdom. Don't you ask me to add myself to you to make you more comfortable. 
And it's through persecution that the kingdom spread through Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And this, friends, is the outline of the book of Acts. What we've seen right now is the ministry in Jerusalem. Now we will see going forward ministry in Judea, then ministry in Samaria, and then through Paul to the ends of the world. It's the outline of the book. If this is the way God started things back at day one, what makes us think he has changed his tactics now? We must reframe how we go through troubles, trials, persecutions, difficulties, pains. We must reframe it. And go through them, not just praying for God's removal, saving, help, healing, remediation. Not just praying for that. Not just praying that God fixes, that God intervenes, and that God blesses and heals. Not just praying for that, but understand going through those, praying for a bold witness for the kingdom. Those things that either happen or are allowed are done so that we, as God's followers, can have a bold witness for the kingdom of God in the midst of what is painful. In the midst of it, this, is, this hurts. I'm dying. I don't understand. But I trust the sovereignty of God. And I trust his mercy. And I I am a reflection of his grace. And I will put myself in the middle of his kingdom and allow him to do what he desires to do. Because it's kingdom first. And when disciples understand that and live in that and give themselves to that, that becomes unstoppable. Do you understand? when we use the troubles, trials, tribulations, difficulties as opportunities for bold witness is when the kingdom's unstoppable. This is the book of Acts. This is the cloth from which we've been cut in faith. This is the foundation. This is the standard. This is the rule. I know you understand my words. Do you still want to sign up for the task? There is nothing better and more fun and more powerful than the kingdom of God. And all it requires is everything we have. I want you to pray with me. God, I ask on our behalf that in gentleness you call us into your kingdom. With great mercy and grace, we are oftentimes fearful and lethargic and complacent and so common. In gentleness, with mercy and grace, call us into your kingdom. With patience, pursue us. And call us 
to a commitment of kingdom first. And in the midst of all these things, where we so desperately desire and, dare I say, need you to show up and do what only you can do, in the midst of that, where we navigate those moments, that they wouldn't become monuments we're stuck in, but that we would navigate those moments with a boldness that says, God, even so, kingdom first. Even so, kingdom first. God, would you redeem the hurt? Would you redeem the difficulty? Would you redeem the pain? Would you redeem the struggle? And reveal your kingdom in the midst of it through your people who are giving their lives into your hands because we trust you. And would you reveal your mercy and your grace and your power through your people for your kingdom's sake. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Father, we stand here as people who choose to believe. Some of us... Some of your people here, God, you know, are going through hell right now. And yet they're here still. There are lives that are feeling like they're just crumbling right now and and you haven't done what we hoped you would do and yet there's here. Father, some of them have showed up because that's all they can do right now. So God, show up on their behalf. Father, sometimes all we can do is believe because we've got nothing left in the tank. And so in our lack, we choose to say as kingdom people, we believe that we believe in God the Father and we believe in his only Son and we believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe that Jesus gives new life and we believe in the crucifixion and we believe that Jesus conquered hell and we believe in the resurrection and we believe in the kingdom come. God, make it so. We say kingdom first. And according to your promise in Matthew 6, 33, we trust that all these other things as you deem appropriate would be added to us as well. In the name of Jesus, pray amen. Listen, we're going to sing a song, and I don't care if you stand up or sit down. What I encourage you to do is do business with God. Some of you know you've tried to add Jesus to your life to make your life better, and you're realizing that maybe you got that a little backwards. Some of you are realizing that all God's asking for is everything you have. He's calling you to something. Jeff and Allie and the band, they do a great job with with worship and the songs. Let them do their thing. You do your thing. If you want to stand up, you can. Allie's not going to invite you to stand up. She's going to let you do whatever you want to do. If you want to sit there and just do a little business, do a little business. Just, just don't, don't pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
and act accordingly. I love you, and I love opening up God's word together. It is the power of salvation for those who believe.